Good morning, Maple Grove. All right. All right. You ready for church? All right. Awesome. Hey, for the last few weeks, we've been in this series of messages called Christmas Playlist, where we've been reminded that music and song are the best response to the mystery of Christmas. And and what a mystery it is, right? I mean, that God, that the all-powerful, all-knowing, always-existing maker of heaven and earth, put on flesh and entered this planet, not, not as a mighty warrior, but as a totally dependent, vulnerable baby. Like, that is some crazy stuff. Whoops. I love my wife. <laughs> She's beautiful. Okay, I got some points there, right? I got a bunch of, not from her, but from you guys. I'll take it where I can get it, right? <laughs> hey, I mean, it's crazy that God came near like that. And I really love how, how one writer puts it. And lean in, this is really good. It all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. As moments go, that one appeared no different than any other. It was one of the countless moments that have marked time since eternity became measurable. But in reality, that particular moment was like none other. For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself up and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The the omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with the word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God is a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. And he came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. And were not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. And were not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watch as Mary changed God's diapers. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the streets with him. And had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons, Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. He could have had bony knees. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew tired. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got cold, burped, and had body odor. His feelings got hurt, his feet got tired, and his head ached. To think of Jesus in such light as well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation, clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't do it. Let him be as human as he intended to be. 
let him into the mire and muck of our world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. End quote. Amen. That's some crazy, unbelievable stuff. Someone say stuff. I love that word. Emmanuel, God with us. And listen, it really is true. In order for Jesus to pull you and I out of the muck and mire that we often get ourselves into, we have to let him in so that he can pull us out. Again, for the last few weeks, we've been unpacking songs that were on God's original Christmas playlist. And in so doing, we've, we've heard some powerful truths. Truths about God's care, God's mercy, God's might, God's way, and God's promises. Truths about how Christmas is about God's story, not our story. It's about God's timing, not our timing. It's about God's gift, not our effort. It's about God's purposes, not our agenda. It's about God's new day and not darkness's old day. And this morning, the 18th of December, 2022, one week before Christmas Day, we're going to look at another song that is found in Luke's Gospel on God's Christmas playlist, written by a guy named Simeon. His story and the song are both found in Luke chapter 2, 21 through 35. But before we dive into this conversation, I need to take a brief sidebar. I do those a lot. And then we're going to take two after that. And uh, here's a brief sidebar. Um, I, I know you guys aren't impressed. I make that slide, y'all. Come on. That's beautiful. Right? Right? I'll tell you what. I... I I'm going to take, where's my phone? Get a picture of that. Right. Anyhow, anyhow. Christmas weekend, Saturday, Christmas Eve, we're having an in-person Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. Um, you want to make sure you're there for that. Um, it's a great time. The kids will be singing. It's going to be incredible. Um, we're going to be taking communion um, on Christmas Eve because um, on Sunday, we're having online-only Christmas Eve, Christmas Day service. It's going to be available beginning at 9 a.m., so that you can watch it in the comfort of your home. It's something different. We have never done that before. But give the opportunity to open presents, be at home, and hear some worship music from our praise team, and hear a very short, uh, it's going to be the shortest message I've ever given, right? So you may want to check that out, right? And just, I could be fooling you, right? Just wheeling you in. But anyhow, um, and so, again, you don't want to miss either one of these service times. The second announcement is, uh, today is the day that we vote on our budget for those who are members. And... Uh, the way we're going to do that, when we take two, and then at the end of service, whatever, at the various kiosks, you're going to find a ballot. Um, we've had this uh, budget uh, outline available the last few weeks. Hopefully, you took time um, to ask questions if you had any. Uh, again, you can always ask questions of us about the budget and things. But let me show you some numbers. And uh, some numbers. Dot, I love dot, 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 too, right? I don't know why, but dot, dot, dot is one of my favorite things, right? And you can see there that our income through uh, December 11th is 270500 a weekly average, you can see right there, of 5550 Our expenses through the end of the year, right, because most things have come through, you can see that there. Uh, our budget need for the year was actually uh, 324000 and change with a weekly average of this. And so obviously, you know, we, we were under our expenses with income, but we do have reserves on hand that is able to supplement that, right? You know, that's what we do, right? 
I know you do that in your home, right? You build up cash reserves so that when you need them, they're there to help you. And so God has been blessed us in the past. We have these reserves. Now, you don't want to live on your reserves at home or at church, but they're good to have. And then you can see the budget for this upcoming year. It's $318,000 and some change. A weekly average, you can see right there. And, and as I said before, you know, I, I'm convinced that if everybody that's a member of Maple Grove, that attends Maple Grove, would pray a simple prayer to God, God is the amount of money offering that I give to your church is that generous in your eyes, right? I believe that we'll far exceed our budget and have money to do more, even more than we're doing now. Amen, right? You know, God has blessed each of us individually, right? And together, uh, we can do this, okay? And uh, again, if you have any questions, you can uh, grab me or the elders after service, not just today, anytime, right? We're willing to talk about anything with you guys, anytime whatsoever. And so we're gonna take two. And again, at every kiosk, there's a ballot, right? And on it, you, if you're a member, you'll just check whether you're going to support this budget or whether you don't support this budget. And by checking yes, you're saying, I'm going to help make the budget happen. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay. Is that fun to talk about? Everybody, everybody having fun talking about money, right? We love it, right? We love talking about money because it's important, right? God has blessed me. He's blessed you. He's blessed us. We live in an incredible country. We have incredible freedom. And God wants to do great things through our church. And I believe that this coming year, we're going to give more than we ever gave in the past, percentage-wise. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? Y'all feel me? Y'all feel me? You feeling the love? All right. And uh, I'm going to ask you all to take out your wallets, give it to your neighbor, <laughs> give them the PIN number of your debit card, and we're going to take up a special offering today. All right? And text it to Steve. No, kidding. <laughs> Kid. Hey, hey, stand up. We're going to go take two, and I'll pray us back in. You can grab a ballot, drop it in now or after church, but be sure to welcome those around you. We love talking about money. <laughs> I'm going to pray us back into our time of study. Heavenly Father, we uh, are so grateful for you, your love, your son, your gospel, your truth, your mercy, your grace, your church. Father, I just pray that you'll be with us, Lord, as we lean into your message this morning. God, I pray that you bless us in the coming years with the resources we need to further expand your kingdom in this place. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's do this. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angels had given him before he was conceived. Now, the name Jesus arrives from a Hebrew root, and, and it means the Lord is salvation. Uh, someone say, the Lord is salvation. Uh, understand, Jesus doesn't just give salvation or bring salvation. Jesus is salvation. Uh, therefore, it, 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 it's not a good idea uh, to look to any person, anything, any achievement, Oh, if I just got that job, if I just had that relationship, look at anything other than Jesus for salvation because you will certainly be disappointed. Get it? Good. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to, be, to present him to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Now that word consecrate means to be, to be set apart, to be set apart for the Lord. And 
And that song we sang, The King is Among Us, it has this line that I think is so cool. You said, you said, consecrate yourselves to me and you will see amazing things. In other words, we sang today, right? That, hey, God, that God is saying, hey, if you set yourself apart for me, you're going to see amazing things, right? Do you believe that's true? That if you set yourself apart for God, you're going to see amazing things. I think Mary and Joseph would say, yeah, I'm there. Elizabeth, Zachariah, yeah, I'm there. David, Moses, you can name them all, right? When they set themselves apart for God, they got to see amazing things. And, and maybe if you're not seeing amazing things in your life and your journey, maybe you've not really set yourself apart for him. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And, and at this point, there are three there are three different aspects of the Old Testament law that are intertwined in these verses that's worth taking a look at. Remember, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Well, in verse 21, we see Mary and Joseph obeying God's law, which says in Leviticus chapter 12 that every male child was to be circumcised on what day? On the, on the eighth day. And now why did God command children to be, to be sacrificed, to be circumcised. <laughs> Welcome to Maple Grove. We are not a cult, all right? <laughs> all right. Why the God? Welcome to church, right? I'm Steve, and that should say it all right there. Why did God command that they would be circumcised on the eighth day? There's actually a medical reason for this, right? You see, in 1935, vitamin K was discovered, which causes the liver to produce a substance that helps the blood to clot. And, and actually, here, here's a chart of it. It's kind of crazy, right? On the eighth day, prothrombin, prothrombin, prothrombin. <laughs> I have four thrombin. <laughs> Who else is four thrombin out there? <laughs> okay. Anyhow, this crazy substance, right, right, I know, it's me, right, this crazy substance on the eighth day is the highest level it ever is, right, it's never higher before or after, and so on the eighth day, the blood can clot like it can never clot before on its own, right, now, now we found that out in 1935, God knew that when he created man, right, and this is another one of those great proofs that shows that this book here is not, it's not just any book, because uh, it has divine knowledge. It has pre-scientific knowledge, right? God knew, right, that on the eighth day, that's the best day to circumcise a child. An another proof of God's word. And next in verse 24, we see Joseph and Mary obeying the law when after waiting for 40 days after Jesus' birth, Mary as commanded by the law, Leviticus 12 goes to the temple for purification. And then finally in verses 23 and 24, we see Mary and Joseph obeying the law again of Exodus 13, where they had to present their firstborn child at the temple or the tabernacle and bring a sacrifice to redeem their child. And what they're declaring in that, that is ultimately our firstborn child and all our children belong to you. And what these three examples show us is that Joseph and Mary 
a big scripture and that there were two people, there were two parents that had decided that the foundation of their lives and of their family was obeying and knowing God's word. And listen, they provide a great example for every one of us in this room, right? Now, about 1,400 years before Joseph and Mary, a guy named Joshua made the same kind of decision. Israel had entered the promised land. God had allowed them to live there, provided for them. Joshua's getting old. He's about to pass on. And he says this in Joshua chapter 24. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates rivers and in Egypt. So apparently, they entered the promised land. God gave them victory, and they still, what are they still doing? <laughs> they, they're still worshiping false gods. They still have idols and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. A question, have you made that decision? That no matter what goes on in a culture, right? Uh, no matter what our culture says, no matter what gods our culture chooses to worship, that you're going to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we'll live by the word of God. I hope you make that decision. This passage in Luke 2 also lets us know that Joseph and Mary didn't have a lot of money. You know, because the law said that when, when the woman came for purification after 40 days, she was to bring a, a lamb for a burnt offering and, and then a, a pigeon for a sin offering. But there was a stipulation in the law that if you were too poor, which Joseph and Mary were, that you could bring instead you could bring two pigeons instead, or two doves instead of the lamb. Which is kind of ironic that the earthly parents of the Lamb of God were so poor that they could not provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And as Luke continues, Simeon, whose name means he who hears, enters the storyline. And aside from what we know in Luke chapter 2, we know very little about him. We don't know his background, his hometown, his education, or even his occupation. Now, most assume he was a priest, though we don't know. Most assume he was an old guy, though we don't know that either. Simon simply appears on the stage of history as a bit player in the drama surrounding the birth of Christ, and after his part is over, he fades from the scene, never to be heard from again. Luke 2, 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Now, what do these verses tell us about the writer of our song? Number one, that he was righteous and devout. In other words, he was right with God and he did his best to obey God's commands. And number two, he was eagerly waiting for God's Messiah to come and to rescue God's people. In fact, that's what... Waiting for the consolation of Israel means waiting for God to rescue his people. And Luke uses a word for waiting in verse 25 that means to be alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. To be alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. Kind of like waiting for an airplane 
to show up at an airport or a ship to show up at a pier when someone is returning from deployment, right? You know they're coming and you're just waiting. And you're waiting, you're alert and ready to welcome them once they're there. That's what Simeon's doing. He's waiting and he's a devout and righteous man. Number three, we learned that he had a, a very short bucket list. Anyone know what a bucket list is? Right? The things you want to do before you do what? Before you kick the, kick the bucket, before you die. Turn's been around for a while. It was made more popular in 2008 when a movie came out by the title of The Bucket List. In that movie, there was two guys, terminally ill, one a billionaire, and they decided to go on a road trip to check off items on their bucket list. And it helps have a billionaire fund your trip, right? They end up skydiving, climbing the pyramids, driving a vintage Shelby Mustang and a Dodge Charger around the California Speedway, riding motorcycles on the Great Wall of China, visiting the Taj Mahal, Mount Everest, and going on a lion safari. And there are all kinds of websites about bucket lists. Uh, one site, bucketlist.net, had things like rock climbing, slow dancing in the rain, swimming with dolphins, going horseback riding on the beach, floating on the Dead Sea, going on a cruise, getting a tattoo, visiting the Grand Canyon, writing a book, and riding a gondola in Venice. Some sites had funny things like this. I love this one. Change, changing your Facebook name to no one and then start liking people's posts. No one liked your post. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. I'm going to have to create a site that does that, right? Here's another one. Bring a fishing pole to an aquarium, right? <laughs> Taking a stuffed animal to the vet, right? Gosh, do I? What did? Saying no way to a guy named Jose. <laughs> no way, Jose. Uh, gluing quarters to the sidewalk and watching people try to pick them up, right? I mean, little, there's sites out there, right, that you can, all these funny things, and there's some, yeah. Things you can do in an elevator, you should check them out, right? Uh, some of the things more serious, like reconciling with a family member, finding your purpose in life. Uh, some sites say you should have 101 items on your bucket list. Simeon had one thing. It was to see God's Messiah before he died. He was righteous and devout. He was alert and eagerly waiting to welcome the Messiah. And he had a very short bucket list. And number four, he was a spirit-filled and spirit-led man. When the Spirit prompted him to do or say something, he did. Question, how responsive are you to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Well, how do you know if it is the Holy Spirit? Usually the Holy Spirit asks you to do good things, right? Like, if you feel prompted to help that person, right, to have that conversation, to fix that relationship, to give that encouragement, to write that note, to make that phone call, to say that prayer, to give that offering, to serve in that ministry, chances are, if you feel that prompting, it's probably the Holy Spirit. If you have a prompting to discourage somebody, to put somebody down, to ignore the needy, to walk away from a need because you're too busy, because your place already too full, I would venture to say that's probably not the Holy Spirit, right? All right? And so I want to encourage you this week, right? I guarantee the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you. It may prompt you before you leave this room. And maybe as you're walking out, you're going to, you're going to catch someone's eye or see someone, and you're going, to, wow, you know, they, they look like they're not doing too good. 
Maybe I should go over and put my hand on, my shoulder, on their shoulder and say hi, and that's how they're doing. And you're gonna, you may feel that. And you're gonna have a choice to make at that time, right? Oh gosh, you know what? I, I got lunch, we got people at home, you know? Or you're gonna say, you know what? Maybe that's God prompting me to do something. Or maybe at work or at school, at the grocery store when the people checking you out at, at, you know, at the grocery store are going crazy or Walmart, right? Uh, Walmart's probably crazy right now, right? All these stores and everybody's frustrated and angry and you see that checkout person who just got yelled out by somebody and maybe you're being prompted, hey, I'm gonna say something encouraging. And maybe you'll buy some gift cards so that when you go to that place, you go, hey, here's a, here's a gift card. It looks like you've had a, a rough day. I just wanna encourage you to be open to the promptings of the Spirit. Amen? And so when the 40 days were over, the Holy Spirit moved and prompted Simeon to go to the temple. You know, this week I started to wonder, like, how did Simeon know to, to look for a baby and, and not a grown man? Like, did the Holy Spirit tell him, hey, look for a baby? But then I remember, oh, come on, duh, right? I mean, what did Isaiah say, right? The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will give, conceive a child, give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And listen, if you know the Messiah is coming as a son, then the best place to station yourself is where? At the temple. Because you know, after 40 days, right, they're going to have to bring the Messiah there to the temple. And for years, maybe decades, Simeon is at the temple. And I'm sure that every time he saw a mom and dad coming in with a, a blue blanket, his pulse quickened a little bit. Luke continues, well, the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required. And picture the scene. You know, families are coming in and out of the temple all day. Uh, babies are crying. Lambs are doing whatever lambs do. People are trying to keep the doves and pigeons from flying away. The priests are pronouncing blessings on the children. Families are celebrating with one another. And off to the side is Simeon just doing his thing, waiting, watching. And then this righteous man, whose name means he who hears, is prompted by the Holy Spirit, who said, Simeon, this is it. He's here. Look over there. He is the one. And Simeon walks over to, to Mary. His mind is racing. His, his pulse is about to burst out of his chest with anticipation. And he's thinking, could this be the promise? Could this be the, the one I've waited for for so long? Understand as Simeon looked in that tiny little face of Jesus, he knew that everything that had been promised to him was staring right back at him. And so he did the only thing that you can do when you come face to face with Jesus and his salvation. He cranked out a song of praise. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, you can check that item off my bucket list. My eyes have seen the Messiah. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go home. Now that word dismiss refers to the release of a prisoner or the untying of a ship so that it can set sail. And that's how Simeon feels. The long wait is over. The years of anticipation are fulfilled. He has seen and personally held salvation in his arms. He's been untied, set free, and he's ready to sail off into God's presence forever. His song continues, for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Short song, 45 words in my translation, 32 words in original Greek. But there's three powerful truths I want us to look at in our time remaining. Truth number one, nothing I'm about to say is probably new to you. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, right? Oh, I know this. Oh, I know this. But do you know it here, right? And I just want to encourage you, man. Like, hear this for real. The truth number one is that God is sovereign. Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord. Understand, Maple Grove, our God is in charge. Our God is in control. He is the sovereign king of the universe. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, isn't it nice to be reminded as, as we live in an unstable, trouble-filled, chaotic, uncertain world that our God is in control and that our God is always on his throne? Amen? Isn't that good to know? Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 40. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Yeah, Isaiah knew in 700 B.C. that the earth wasn't flat. Go figure, right? God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain. Billions and billions of galaxies. And makes his tent from them. Nice tent. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started. They barely take root. When he blows on them and they wither, the wind carries them off like shaft. At this very moment, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And listen, during tough and difficult times, God wants us to know that he's always on his throne. Uh, matter of fact, that's what he wanted Isaiah to know in Isaiah chapter 6. This is when God calls Isaiah to ministry. We read these words. In the year King Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah had been the king of Israel for 55 years pretty decent king and now he's gone you think people were concerned is a is the next administration going to be a go on how are things going to go i mean people are concerned it was in the year king uzziah died that i saw the lord he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, the whole earth, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building filled with smoke. Understand, this is our Father's world. He's not just a king or a lord. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. God is sovereign, and he's in absolutely control of everything at all times. Amen? Amen? If that's true, that's good news, right? Because so much, in, I don't know about you, so much in my life I wish I had control of, I don't have control of, but God has control of it. 
And listen, knowing that God is before all things, over all things, and holds all things together is intended to be a source of joy, comfort, confidence, and peace to you and I. Like, whatever you're facing, he can handle it. Like, like whatever's coming against you, he is bigger, and he is stronger. Like, there is no weapon that could ever be formed against you, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 54, 17. There's no weapon that could ever be formed against you that will prosper. Amen? He's still on this throne, even now. And that's good news. Anybody excited that God's sovereign? Yeah, I am. Okay, we got four people excited, God. All right, I'm sorry. They're tired, didn't have their coffee. They'll be, they'll be better later, all right? Here's something that hit me about God's sovereignty um, this week as I was doing um, our 14-day Christmas devotion. I'm sure you got about 20 texts from me as I abuse you. Next thing is a knock on your door and tell you to join the reading program, right? Because uh, I just think it's so important. And, uh, and what hit me, right, it, it was I'm cheering on God's sovereignty is I almost felt God say to me, Steve, I'm so, I'm happy that you're excited that I'm the sovereign king of the universe. But Steve, are you just as excited for me to be the sovereign king of your life and rule your life? And I'm like, oh, you know, that's a different story, right? And in the day one devotion, here's this excerpt from it. Jesus has come to rule our lives and to shepherd our souls. He is the true shepherd king. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives, he establishes his rule over us. He helps us understand what is good for us and what is destructive to us. He provides us with principles to live by and boundaries to live within. He, his rule over us is one of love. He guides us tenderly as a good shepherd oversees his sheep. And then it told us, take a moment to give praise and thanks to the Lord for coming as your ruler and shepherd. Determined to give him unrestricted reign. Somebody say unrestricted reign. Determined to give him unrestricted reign over your mind, your will, your emotions, and your actions. Choose to trust and follow him wholeheartedly as your heavenly shepherd. Thank him for his advent in your life, right? And, and this devotion has like, like, like one or two scriptures to read, a very short devotion, and then a prayer that you pray afterwards. And I, I found the first three days like, wow, this is so good and helping to be so focused. Like, like the focus of the other day, Saturday, was about, you know, has anybody done anything to prepare for Christmas? Right? You're all scared to answer, right, because you know I'm going to get you, right? Yeah. You know, you bought presents, you got food, you're planning meals, you're going, you got tickets to go somewhere to visit somebody, right? And the question I kind of proposed in day two is like, are we spiritually prepared for Christmas? Like, what are we doing to be spiritually prepared for Christmas? Are we spending more time buying presents, planning things than we are to be spiritually prepared for God would want to give us this Christmas season? And I go like, well, okay. So great devotion, right? Well, here's the prayer for day one, and I'm going to ask us to pray this prayer together. On the count of three, after I say three, right? Not on three, after three. Okay? One, two, three. Lord, how grateful we are that you have come to rule over us. Left to our own rule, we, we always make a mess of our life. Thank you for bringing guidance, truth, and structure to us. 
Thank you that you rule as a loving shepherd, always looking after our needs and providing for our best. Jesus, thank you for coming. Dream. Amen. Awesome. It's still time to join that program. His song proclaims truth that God is sovereign, next to God keeps his promises. Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You know, we think about it, there's two threads that weave the entire Bible promise and fulfillment. Much of the Old Testament would simply fit under the category of promise, and New Testament is pretty much a recording of the fulfillment of those promises in the person and work of Jesus. And so the birth of Jesus is a fulfillment of a series of promises, also called prophecies, that were given hundreds, sometimes thousands of years in advance. And there's a number of prophecies we could look at about Jesus that are fulfilled, that happened just as God said they would happen, right? You, you know, and, and, and here, here's something we talked about in our men's Bible study that Steve's leading. Um, like, if I told you right now, in 2022, in 2020, the Houston Astros are going to win World Series. Super Bowl 56 would be won by the Los Angeles Rams. Who would be impressed by that? Nobody. Because it already happened, right? You know? And, and, and until the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1950, the oldest Old Testament manuscript we had was 900 A.D. And then in 1950s, a shepherd boy tossing a rock in a cave where God had preserved manuscripts, gave us manuscripts dated 100 B.C. So before the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you say, hey, well, Jesus fulfilled these, well, of course he did. This was written after he was already here. Like, like, like if I would have told you two years ago, Houston Astros would win, the Rams would win, you'd be like, wow, okay. And, and we have maybe 100, according to how you count, prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And some guy did the odds that any eight coming true in any man, one person coming true, or the odds of covering the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars, Texas is big, blindfolding somebody, marking one coin, and having them pick out that one coin on the first try. That's the odds of eight coming true in one individual, right? And Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. Another proof that the Bible is not just another book. There's a prophecy about, we already looked in Isaiah 7:14, he'd be born to a virgin. Micah the prophet said that Jesus will be born where? He'll be born in, in Bethlehem, right? God keeps his promises. Always has, he always will. You know, God promised that one day he would send his son to this lost and broken world that he so loves, so that whoever believes in them will not perish but have everlasting life. God is kept and is still keeping his promise. God promises that all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God keeps his promises. God promises that our present suffering are not worth comparing to the glory that one day will be revealed to us. God keeps his promises. God promises that in all things we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus and that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. God keeps his promises. God promises that one day he's coming back for us to take us to our forever home with him. 
a forever home with no more sorrow, pain, death, disease, divorce, sin, or sorrow. God keeps his promises. So Simeon's songs on God's Christmas playlist proclaims the truth that God is sovereign, God keeps his promises, and that God's salvation is here. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I understand our salvation at its core, it's, it's two parts. Now, number one is our, is our redemption. Jesus' death on the cross, paying the debt for our sin, removing the distance between us and God. Part two is our restoration. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and you and I responding to the word so that we can become the people that God created us to be. Redemption and restoration. And here's the deal. If our salvation, if your salvation does not bring you joy, we need to pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51, 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And God, help, help your salvation to excite me. God, help your salvation excite me more than the people watching the football game in Minnesota when their team came back from the, great, the greatest comeback in NFL history. Man, they were going crazy, right? You know, help me to celebrate my salvation with that kind of joy because, oh yeah, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven, spirit lives in me, what's for dinner, right? Listen, our salvation is such a big deal. Now, there, there's a verse here, right here in, in, in Peter, or Peter's, Peter says this crazy stuff, right? He says like, hey, you know the prophets that wrote about the Messiah? They didn't understand it like you guys do, and they really wish they did. And, and, and even says there that the angels, the angels wish they could experience what we experience. Like, are you kidding me? Like the angels are in heaven. They've seen creation, beginning of time, and they want to get in on our salvation. Like the prophets of old are like, hey, it's, I don't know about you, sometimes I, I, you ever imagine yourself being them? Like, like David going into the valley, right? Daniel going into the lion's den. They try to imagine being us. I wonder what it's like to be Steve. To be saved by grace. To have God's spirit living in me. To have constant access to God the Father through prayer. To know for sure about my heavenly home. They imagine trying to be us. Yeah, there's a verse in 1 Chronicles 2.9. And maybe you've heard it before. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I've heard that verse read at funerals. Now, it definitely applies to heaven, right? But in context, what that is talking about the context is the gospel. It's saying like they couldn't even imagine it, couldn't think about it. Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, all your sins are forgiven. You don't have to bring a sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. All your sins are forgiven, completely gone, washed away. And that God actually lives inside of you? And, and that you can call God your father? You know? Heavenly Father, restore the joy of our salvation. And if it doesn't excite you, and sometimes it's like me, we need to do a recheck, amen? 
Like it's a big deal. I'm saved, I'm free, I'm redeemed, I'm delivered, and I'm going to heaven, right? You know, greater is the one in me than the one is in this world, right? I mean, that is some good news. I know where I'm going. I know who I am. I know what God has done for me. After Simon sings this song of praise, we read these words, the father, Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And when I read that, I was like, why are they so marveled? Like, I mean, we're talking about two people who already met Gabriel, right? Right? I mean, mean, it wasn't just a prompting. It was the archangel Gabriel in their presence telling them some pretty amazing things about Jesus and about them. But yet, they're marveling. Why? I believe because they never lost their wonder. And here's the deal as we wrap up. It's a serious wrap up. I'm convinced that your fundamental problem of mine is not only that we are not lost in wonder, but we've lost our wonder. I mean, we no longer marvel at the greatness of God. We know longer look at a sunrise or sunset and marvel, marvel at the maker of heaven and earth. We no longer marvel at, at God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. We no longer marvel that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we can never pay. We no longer marvel that God has adopted us into his family and that now we are children of God and that is what we are. We no longer marvel that God the Son, all-powerful and all-existing, humbly reduced himself to an embryo just so God could come near. Oh, yeah, it's Christmas. Yay, Jesus was a baby. Pretty cool. And he's going to be a man and die for our sins. We need... Man, I pray that we begin to marvel again. This is some amazing stuff. Amen? Simon was ready to be dismissed in peace because he had held salvation in his hands, right? And we are ready to be dismissed, so to speak, not when we hold salvation, but when God's salvation holds us, right? When it holds us. And I just want to, as we get ready to sing our, our closing song, again, God is sovereign. That's a good deal. That's pretty exciting, you know? God keeps his promises, and God's salvation is here. If you're here today and you've never surrendered to Jesus, you, you know, uh, it, If Jesus were here today, I think he would sing a Christmas song to you guys. It was actually the number one song on Spotify. I'm not going to sing it, so don't get excited. It's actually the number one song on Spotify's Christmas playlist. All I want for Christmas is what? Is you. I really believe Jesus would sing that. I'm serious. Because what do you get God that he doesn't have? 
yourself, right? That's all God wants. He wants you. If, if you're a believer, he wants you more fully than you've given yourself to him. If you wandered away, he wants you to come back. If you never surrendered to him, he wants you to surrender to him because all he really wants is you because that's why he put on flesh and came to this earth. Amen? And so if you need to make that decision, man, you can talk to me now. I actually, just in case, you know, I brought some shorts and T-shirts. The bathroom shoes nice and warm. You know, I brought these just in case someone wants to surrender to Christ because God will keep his promise that if we repent or are baptized, our sins are forgiven or receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, so I brought some here, you know, just in case, right? You know, I prayed about it and so it'd be kind of dumb not to have some extra stuff around. And so, but you can talk to me during the week, anything you want to talk about. Uh, but, uh, you know, give God the gift he wants this Christmas. Whether you're, you're saved or his follower, give him yourself. Um, we're going to stand, and I'm going to pray, um, and we're going to take communion. Communion is off to the sides. It's where we, have, we collect our offering there as well. Would you guys stand? Uh, Jesus, we love you, and God, forgive us for being more excited when our team wins a football game than Jesus winning victory for us on the cross. God, help. I pray for those who are facing difficult times and that are so much bigger than them that they are out of their control, that they'll realize that you are sovereign, that you're on your throne. And God, I pray for those who are waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering. God, help them to know that your promise is true and that you come through every time. And God, I pray that all of us this Christmas season will be excited more than we've ever had before, perhaps, at the salvation we have in you, God. God, forgive us for sometimes being bah humbug about our very salvation. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. May the song we sing right now be a prayer, a praise, and a recommitment to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.